Good morning, Watford. I'm so sorry I can't be with you in the flesh today. As you know, it's the first Sunday of the month, so I'm in Thames Valley. But I did want to bring you a lesson today from Genesis chapter 20 as we continue our adventure of faith with Abraham, traveling through his faith life with him, learning lessons along the way about faith, about God, and hopefully about how we can best live our life of faith in this world today. Now we're in chapter 20 today and our title is How Far Will God Go to Save People? How far will God go to save people? How far will he go to make sure that his purposes for his people, for the salvation of as many as possible, come to fruition? That's what we're looking at today. Now I know we've already had uh, Genesis chapter 20 uh, read for us, so I won't go through it again now, but I will dip into chapter 20 as we go along. I would also mention that I sent around on the WhatsApp group the handout with some questions, some ideas, some thoughts. You might like to get a hold of that, perhaps have it in front of you. And I'm going to be sharing a few thoughts and then we're going to go into a time of discussion. Depending on what Osagi thinks is the right thing to do, Osagi, it's, uh, it's up to you. You're running the show today, whether we keep everybody together for a bit of discussion or whether we might go into breakout rooms. But nonetheless, I hope there'll be time for some discussion at the end of this. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah when uh, Abraham, it's revealed to Abraham what God is going to do. And Abraham intercedes for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and asks that God would please not destroy them. And yet there, were, there, aren't, even, there aren't even a few people that are righteous. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, but does rescue Lot. Lot doesn't take his privileges of being rescued by God very seriously. And there's a lot of damage and pain as a result of that. So that's what's coming right before chapter 20. And of course, just after chapter 20, which we will look at soon in chapter 21, Isaac, the son of the promise, is finally born. So we'll come on to that next time. We see this in chapter 20, between this and the birth of Isaac. We see this interesting um, incident between Abraham and Abimelech, or one might say, between God and Abimelech and God and Abraham, we've got several conversations. I think that's what's rather interesting about this chapter, amongst other things, is the conversations. So we're going to have a look at these conversations, see what we can draw out from them, and then have some discussion together. So the first conversation in this chapter is God's conversation with Abimelech. That's verses 3 down to verse 7. And God has a conversation with, with Abimelech where he talks to him in a dream and he says to him you are as good as dead why because of the woman you've taken she's married Abimelech is terrified about that and he protests his innocence uh I didn't realize what's going on didn't he say Abraham say she's my sister and he's my brother she said I've, I've got a clear conscience I've got clean hands and God reassures him but tells him what he must do. Very interesting conversation. I don't know whether you've had any conversations in dreams uh, with God. I've had a few odd dreams myself recently. Uh, I dreamt about my mother, as you, you know, maybe not so surprising, except that I very rarely remember my dreams. And, and I don't think in my adult life I can ever remember dreaming about my mother ever, ever before. So it's quite an, an odd thing. And when you have an odd dream, you do tend to remember it. But I doubt any of us have had a dream quite as strange as Abimelech has here, which is more than a dream. It's a conversation. 
see a few things here. Firstly, God God holds pagans responsible for their behavior. Not just people of the Christian faith or of the faith of Yahweh, but God holds pagans responsible. He's holding Abimelech here, somebody who's not a God follower, as far as we can tell, and, and, and the rest of the scriptures don't portray it this way, uh, that he is somebody who, though he is not a God follower, is accountable. He's accountable for his decisions, his behavior, just like uh, God's own people. And so God does hold all people accountable. And indeed, if he is just, he should, because God is God and his standards and his his uh, knowledge of what is righteous is always true and correct for every single person and his standards don't change. So he does hold everybody accountable. Yet we also see here that he intervenes. He's not passive. He doesn't leave people without faith uh, to their own devices and say, well, that's, that's your problem. He intervenes, not being passive. And aren't you and I grateful that when we were dead and lost in our sins, God wasn't passive. He came and intervened, sometimes several times in our lives before we fully paid attention. But he intervened through books we read, things we heard and saw, perhaps dreams you had, and then ultimately God providing somebody to come and, and show us the way. God has not been passive in your life and mine, and he's not done with being involved with our lives yet. And it gives us faith to believe he is involved with all the people around us, the people we pray for. As I sit here looking at my neighbors across the street, he's involved in their lives. I may not see it, but he is not passive. That's a faith uh, building thought, I think. Also, it's interesting in this conversation is that Abimelech is being portrayed to us as being more righteous than Abraham. Abraham ought to be the one setting the standards of righteousness. But in fact, Abimelech is because he's saying, I'm innocent. And indeed, he, he responds very quickly to God's commands and does what he what he's told. So we see that sometimes, sometimes pagans can be as righteous as people of faith, sometimes perhaps even more so. Abimelech reasons with God, just in, in a way, a little bit like the way Abraham did in chapter 18, when he reasoned with God, if there are 50 people, will you then destroy, the 50 righteous people, will you then destroy Sodom, if there are 40, if there are 30? So we see this kind of reasoning, Abimelech is doing this with God. That's pretty, that's pretty good of God, isn't it? Pretty big of him to allow a pagan to reason with him, and uh, he does, and explains things, and God says, yeah, that's, I know, I know you did this innocently, so that's why I've kept you from uh, touching her, he says. It's rather ironic that the kinds of people, this is the, the Abimelech is one of the kinds of people that Abraham was interceding for in chapter 18, but he's now afraid of. And, 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 he, and he was praying for pagans like Abimelech in chapter 18. He has a pagan in front of him, and then he's more afraid of him than, than perhaps his faith should have given him courage for. A little uh, ironic, perhaps. We also see that God still has faith in Abraham right here at the beginning. We see it later on, but at the beginning of the chapter, because God says to Abimelech, uh, return the man's wife, he is a prophet, verse 7, and he will pray for you, and you will live. He will pray for you, and you will live. Isn't that, well, I think that's wonderful. God is demonstrating his faith in Abraham. Abraham at this point is, is lacking in his faith towards God. But God says, you know what, Abimelech, you know that chap who's just done this terrible thing? He's a prophet. What a, what a contrast of he is a prophet, but he's not behaving like a prophet. Sadly, 
Uh, the truth is that I, and I'm sure all of us at times, know that we are Christians and people of God and yet don't behave like it. But God still has faith in Abraham because he says to Abimelech, this chap, the uh, pro- this weak prophet, he's going to pray for you. It demonstrates that God believes that uh, Abraham is going to come through this still with faith and he's going to get back to winning ways, obedient ways. He will pray for you and the prayer will be effective. He says he will pray for you and you will be and you will live. That's it. You will live. That's wonderful. That's wonderful that God believes in you and me sometimes more than we believe in ourselves. And you and I probably are very aware of our weaknesses and sins. Sometimes we get very despondent about it. And that's understandable. But it is critical that we don't let our self-doubts overwhelm the fact that God still has faith in us, trusts us and knows that we can come through not just times of difficulty, but times of our a difficulty of our own creation because of our own sin and disobedience. So Abraham's prayers are going to be powerful and effective. And Abimelech is warned of non-compliance. If you don't do that, you're going to die. So do what I say. Really interesting. And then we have a short interlude where in verse 8, Abimelech gathers his advisors around him and says, oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe what's been going on. But uh, he tells them all that had happened. And what's their reaction? They were very much afraid not surprised after they hear this and when does Abimelech do this early early the next morning he does not hang about wonderful example here of a man who didn't expect something and yet when sees God moving in his life gets on with it acts straight away the sort of behavior we should be seeing from Abraham so he acts straight away he's urgent and what occurs is fear of God very ironic, considering that what Abraham says later, which we'll come to in uh, verse 11, he was afraid that there was no fear of God in this place. This is his excuse for his behavior is no one around here fears God. So I'm going to do what I think is, is going to get me out of the, out of trouble. But instead, God shows up and then there is fear of God in Abimelech and his officials. Again, the pagans have more fear of God than the man of God who should have this kind of respectful fear of God. So that's what we see. Now, let's move on to the next conversation. The next conversation in verses 9 to 13 is Abimelech's conversation with Abraham. Love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. So Abimelech's conversation with Abraham is interesting as uh, he uh, calls him in to uh, call him to account. What have you done to us? He says, how have I wronged you that I brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? that uh, that you've brought this on me you have done things to me that should never be done i mean he's he's holding abraham correctly to account and he asks him what was your reason for doing this and abraham replies with his excuses and rationale there's no fear of god they'll kill me she really is my sister anyway um that's what i thought would work we see a number of interesting things here Firstly, we see that Abimelech is not afraid to confront Abraham. Sometimes we need that truth in our lives, don't we? We need somebody to tell us the truth. And we should hopefully do that for each other in in our congregation. Tell each other the truth when we need to hear it in a loving way. But we need to accept the truth, whoever it comes from and wherever it comes from. Sometimes our 
worst enemies are our best critics. And sometimes you can have somebody, perhaps uh, someone at work or in your family, that tells you the truth in a way that isn't kind or loving, but is still true and helpful. So let's be the kind of people that welcome truth, even more than Abraham here does, because it seems to me that Abraham is not yet fully repentant at the beginning of this conversation, at least, because he doesn't respond to the revealing of truth with, you know what, Abimelech, you, you got me banged to rights. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I'm so sorry. I've let you down. I've let God down. I let my family down. That is not his response, is it? Unfortunately, excuses. He rationalizes. And that's all the more sad, given that Abimelech is giving him the space to respond. As he asks him, what was your reason? Now, Abraham gives his reason. But you and I know that in, in reality, he shouldn't have only given his faulty, faithless reasoning. He should have perhaps said, well, this is why I did it, but I don't know why. I mean, I shouldn't have. It's very gracious of Abimelech to give Abraham the opportunity to express his apologies, given that in those days, adultery was, in most cultures, and certainly was in this culture, a capital offence. Someone caught in adultery would be killed. That could even be the king. This was the king's own uh, potential fate if he had slept with Sarah. It seems that he didn't at this point. He hadn't at this point. But it could have happened. And so he or, or Abraham, would, Abimelech would have been well within his rights to execute Abraham for de deceiving him uh, to the point of the potential for adultery. And yet, rather than do that, for which he has the power, instead he says, tell me what's going on. Abraham, unfortunately, doesn't make the most of it makes excuses and rationalizes. Uh, it appears that the excuses and rationalizations are motivated by fear. Fear of a man rather than fear of God. We move on to the next scene. The next scene is Abimelech's treatment of Abraham and Sarah from verses 14 to 16. And we see his treatment of Abraham and then of Sarah. And with Abraham, he gives him sheep, cattle, male and female slaves, returns Sarah to him and says, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. Reminds us a little bit of the interaction between Lot and Abraham when Lot didn't want to stay with Abraham and went off somewhere else. Very generous in the extreme. And to Sarah, uh, I'm giving your brother. Notice he says your brother. I wonder if that's a bit of a dig. You know, the guy that says, He's your brother, when we know he's really your husband, anyway, your brother, a thousand shekels of silver. That is so generous beyond belief. It's to cover the offense against you, all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Can you see the grace in Abimelech here? It's, it's so generous. In fact, it's kind of unfair. His generosity would have been regarded by his court, by everybody that heard about it. That's an unfair level of grace. You should have locked the guy up, probably cut his head off, banished his wife, and and dealt with his, his uh, probably absorbed all of his possessions into your own because of this. I mean, you deserve Abimelech to, to, to have been able to do that. Instead, you're being really unfair, giving him so much. I, I think there's something here about about valuing the grace we're given. There's something here about 
recognizing the generosity and the patience and the mercy of God. Sometimes it comes through other people. Sometimes the grace of God comes directly to us, into our spirit, you could say. Sometimes it seems to come through each other in the church as we offer each other mercy and grace without judgment. And sometimes it even comes from people in the world. They don't treat us as we truly deserve. Are we really grateful? I hope Ab- I think Abraham became grateful. That's my sense. I hope he did. And I hope that I am as grateful as I I it w- as it would be healthy for me to be. I hope I respond with a a heartfelt gratitude to the grace and mercy offered to me from God and from other people. You know, my own family, I haven't been as devoted to some of them as I as I think would be good. Uh, perhaps my uncle, perhaps my own parents, perhaps my niece and nephew and others. I, I think I could have been and can still be more uh, involved and uh, and connected to them. But I haven't felt any sense of judgment over the last uh, month or two as we've been drawn closer together as a family. Instead, all I've felt is a sense of gratitude um, uh, from them to me and me to them. And I, I, I really love that. But I pray not to take that for granted. So what happens here? is that Abimelech saves Abraham and Sarah. That's really what's happening. It's a great illustration of a pagan grasping the concept of grace. He offers grace to Abraham. He offers grace to Sarah. Therefore, Abraham, Sarah, their entire household, as well as Abimelech's, actually, which we'll come to in a minute, they are all saved. That's God's vision. As it says in the New Testament, God wants all people to be saved. Not a few, not just the ones who look and behave kind of right. He wants all to be saved. What's our part in demonstrating the generosity and grace of God to other people so that they could understand they too could be included in God's generous offer of salvation? And the last part here is the result of Abraham's prayers for Abimelech and his household. So at the end, Abraham prayed to God. So he he got his focus back, accurate, correct. He had a faithful response here. And he prays. And it says, God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves. Why? So that they could have children again. That's interesting. So this incident wasn't a, a quick overnight thing. This incident happened over a period of time, because how would you know that uh, that the women in his household had been prevented from childbearing unless there was a reasonable period of time? So some time has gone by. Sarah has been in Abimelech's household for quite a while, long enough for somebody to notice, you know what, normally we'd have some women conceiving around here by now, but no one's conceiving. They notice it, they notice the healing. They can have children again. The Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Or perhaps more accurately, because of Abraham's treatment of his wife, Sarah, I would say. So what do we see here? We see that Abraham is now obedient again. He's become disobedient. Now he is obedient. He has weakened in his faith, but he has not lost his faith. He's not sulking after the rebuke. Instead, he's coming back to where he once was in his relationship with God. We see also that his prayers are powerful. It might remind you of the prayers of Elijah. 
1 Kings 18 and 19. Or it might remind you of what it says in James chapter 5 about his prayers, Elijah's prayers being powerful and effective. And he was a man who, what? Just like you and I. Abraham's prayers are powerful and effective. Ours are just as powerful and effective. Indeed, perhaps have the potential to be even more so because we have the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, which of course he didn't have in the same way that we do. So let me wrap up. Some points I notice here from this wonderful chapter. Firstly is this, that fear leads us into all kinds of mess. We saw that in chapter 19 with Lot, but we also see it with Abraham. His giving into his fears of people led him into all kinds of mess with his family and with other people. And when we give into fear, it affects not just us, but the people around us, sometimes a large number of people. And fear tends to lead us to try and manipulate. He's trying, Abraham, to manipulate the situation with Abimelech, with his wife, with God, really. He's trying to manipulate God and people. And that's what tends to happen when we give in to fear and we sin and we don't confess. We sin and we try and hide it. We sin and we, we're not uh, honest about it. We, we sin and we don't talk about it with God. Uh, we sin and we try and rationalize it. Well, that's not going to end well, is it? It wasn't going to end well with Abraham until God intervened in a, in a wonderful, confrontational and grace-filled way. That's a key key part of this. There's confrontation, which is really serious, and there's grace, which is really lavish. God will do whatever is necessary to preserve his plan. He wants all people to be saved. He will do what's necessary. Ultimately, that's what the cross is about. God doing whatever he can so that as many people as possible can be saved, can be rescued from the consequences of of their decisions motivated by fear. Perhaps one other thought from this passage is that we can see that God cares about pagans, for want of a better word. He cares about those who aren't part of his spiritual family just as much as he cares about those who are. And sometimes the pagans are more righteous than God's people. God wants all of us to be saved, all the people around us here. Prayer is a powerful part of that. Prayer is something that, well, we'll talk more about that another time, I think, but we've seen in chapter 18, we've seen in other passages in, in Abraham's life that prayer is is a very powerful part of his relationship with God and, and a way in which God gets his will done. So let me leave you with some questions, which you can use as you wish. And you don't have to answer all these questions. You could discuss perhaps one of them, which is most useful and meaningful to you. But I've uh, I've uh, four questions. Again, we're not time to answer all of them, but see what you think about these four questions. Firstly, on a personal level, how can you become more aware of the areas where fear tempts you to manipulate? How can you become more aware, more conscious of, more aware of the areas where fear tempts you to be manipulative of God and other people. We see that this issue with his wife was an, a, a, an area of fear that repeated, didn't it? Because in chapter 12, we got the situation with Pharaoh. He does the same thing with Pharaoh as he does here in, Acts, in, in Genesis 20. You'd have thought he'd have learned by now. But there's, there's some, something there for Abraham. That was a kind of a weak spot, an Achilles heel, something to do with fear 
and his wife and we don't ex- understand all of it but that it was a, an, a specific area it, mu- it must be a repeat for a reason maybe there are areas in your life where you more consistently are tempted to give in to fear than others do you know what they are are you is there some way you could become more aware of that so that you can see it coming and deal with it decisively before you get into the mess that comes with trying to manipulate things second question what would help you to bounce back to God from mistakes when you and I make spiritual mistakes which uh, you and I know we do and we sin and we fall short in our faith when that happens what is it that helps you to bounce back to God not just bounce back to I'm okay now but actually repairs your relationship with God what what are the key things that make a difference to you being able to uh, perhaps fall into this uh, uh, mistake and sin, but then bounce back to God? What are the things that help you? Third question, think about your life and have a look and think what evidence is there in your life of God's unfair and generous grace that you've seen so far in your life? Where have you seen God be unfairly generous to you in, in his grace? Think back, think about your life. You might like to share about that. I think you might find that spiritually really uplifting to reflect on times when God has been unfair in his generosity of grace. And the fourth question, what convictions do you have about intercessory prayer? And I've put a definition of intercessory prayer on the handout. But what convictions do you have about intercessory prayer? That's what Abraham did in chapter 18. That's what he does here. He prayed to God. He prayed for Abimelech and his, and his household. So what are your convictions about the significance of and the practice of intercessory prayer? So there are four questions. Again, you don't have to answer uh, all four. Maybe take one of them in, in, a, in this time of discussion or in a group and just talk about what uh, stood out to you from this lesson today. And I do hope and pray that as we look at Abraham's life and we look at the inspirational nature of his faith, we will remember that he was a, a human being just like you or I. To answer the question at the beginning of the title of our lesson today, how far will God go to save people? He'll go a long way. He'll forgive a lot. He'll be generous in a, to a ridiculous degree. He will overlook many sins and faults and mistakes. God will do whatever is necessary for as many people as possible to be saved. I hope these thoughts have been helpful and I look forward to catching up with you all soon. Thanks again. Take care. God bless. See you soon.